If you have your Bible today, please open with me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 21, and we'll begin in verse 28 in just a moment. Luke chapter 21 and verse 28. And we're going to conclude this section of Jesus' teaching about the destruction of the temple and about His return. And, um, and since we're in our third week in this section, there's not really a whole lot to say by way of introduction that I've not already said. Um, the only thing I, I will say, just by way of preparation, is the next few weeks, next three or four probably, uh, we're going to cover some big chunks of Scripture. And I don't apologize for that, but I will apologize I'm not a very good reader. And so you will have to endure that. Um, but, but we are going to cover some big chunks of Scripture the next few weeks each time. And the reason for that is twofold. First, because up until this point, we've had a lot of teaching. And so we've, we've seen what Jesus taught. Um, but from chapters, chapters 22 and 23, it's pretty sparse. It's mainly just a record of what happened with Jesus. Uh, we had the Lord's Supper and then his betrayal and his arrest and then um, the, the trial. And then it goes into the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so there's not a whole lot of teaching, and so we're, gonna, we're just going to look at the record of his, of, uh, of his arrest and so forth. Uh, so that's one reason that we're doing it, but also Easter's coming up. And we're, if we go the rate that we're going, we'd have to hit Easter twice in real short order. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try and make this fall, uh, if at all possible, on Resurrection Sunday and have it all line up like it, like it should. So anyway, with all that out of the way, I'd like you to go ahead and stand if you're able to. And we'll pick up in Luke 21 and verse 25. It says, There will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on earth dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the seas and the waves, men fainting from fear, and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads, because your your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so, that, so your hearts are, will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. Now during the day he was teaching in the temple, but at evening he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. And all the people would get up early in the morning and come to him in the temple to listen to him. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the first thing that I want you to uh, see today is right there at the beginning of the text, and that is heavenly signs. Heavenly signs. Look back at verse 25, and, and you'll hopefully remember that we looked at uh, some of this last week. And last week, what we looked at was way back in, in, uh, uh, in the first part of, of our text. Um, what was it? Well, now, oh yeah, verse 11. It also mentions cosmic disturbances of some sort. Now, he is, remember, he is talking primarily about the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem, but that is kind of a microcosm of, what, of what's going to happen at the end. 
And, and it's hard to know in verse 25 how literally we should take these things because Jesus begins to use what scholars call apocalyptic language. Now, I know that's a great big term, apocalyptic language. And what, what that means is the Bible is not all written the same way. And you know this if you've read the Bible. Not all the Bible is written the same way. So in some parts, they're what we call it's, it's narrative portions. And that's what we call the stories of the Bible. They are records of what happened uh, to the people in the Bible. So you read about Moses and what happened with him, and, and then you read about Noah, and you read about all these different people, and, and those are narrative portions. The biblical writers many times don't give any opinion. They don't express an opinion. This action is right or wrong. It just says this is what happened. So that's one type of literature. Another type is, is poetry. So you read the Psalms, and you, you, you know there are certain things that are true about the Psalms. It uses very picturesque language. It uses word pictures to convey emotions and, and ideas and, and thoughts. And then you go to a book like Leviticus, and it's very different from Psalms. Leviticus, I mean Psalms, we read it. We, we, we read the Lord is my shepherd and so forth. And, and that speaks to our souls. And then, and then we read Leviticus, and it puts us to sleep, right? Because it's a law book, and it's, it's law code, and, and we read it. And most people don't read law code for fun. And so all these different types of literature or genres have, have different characteristics. And one of the types of literature in the Bible is called apocalyptic. And the book that we're most familiar with that uses a lot of apocalyptic language is Revelation. And you know, if you've read Revelation, you know that is a weird book, right? Because you, you look through it and there are all these bizarre word pictures and, and it's clearly symbolic. So, so you have, um, uh, in one part, you have um, a record of Jesus standing there and a sword is coming out of his mouth. Or in another part, you read about uh, uh, the, the Son of Man, uh, Jesus walking among lampstands and he has stars in, in his hand that he's holding. And in another place, you read about locusts that, that have uh, the, the head of, of uh, the, the face of a man and hair like women and teeth like lions and tails like scorpions. That's, that's strange. No matter how you cut it, that's, that's kind of weird. And so we have these, these bizarre pictures sometimes, and this is apocalyptic language. And so when you look at what Jesus says, he's using apocalyptic language. And this is not unique to Jesus, and this is not unique even to the New Testament. Because there are passages specifically in the prophets where they are pronouncing judgment on different pagan nations where they use similar language to what Jesus uses in our text. And so, so the idea here is whenever God acts, it disrupts the status quo, so to speak. And that's putting it mildly. When God acts, it's very cataclysmic. The, the very powers of the heaven are shaken. And so there are instances, for instance, Isaiah 13.10, and in a section dealing with God's judgment on Babylon. And I want you to, to hear echoes of this type of language in what we read today. Isaiah 13.10, for the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Or over, Ezekiel, uh, over uh, Egypt, uh, a judgment pronunciation on Egypt out of Ezekiel 32, verses 7 and 8. God says, And when I extinguish you, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. All the shining lights in the heavens I will darken over you. And will set darkness on your land, declares the Lord God. And so when we read what Jesus says, he's talking about these signs in the heaven, these, these things that are, are happening, these disruptions, these disturbances that are happening in the heavens. 
it's hard to know how literally we should take this because this is clearly some apocalyptic language. Now, it could be that he is just using apocalyptic language and he's not saying there will be specific signs. I don't think that's, I, I think there's an element of apocalyptic language, but I believe he is talking about observable signs in the sky. Now, you say, okay, that's all well and good, Pastor. He said in verse 25, he said in verses 10 and 11, if that is the case, then there should have been some sort of signs in the sky around the destruction of Jerusalem. And we probably, if I were to ask you if anything like that happened, you would probably say, nope. Is anybody familiar with any, any record of that? Probably none of us are because probably none of us have read all of the works of the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus. Now, he was a Jewish historian who lived through the siege of Jerusalem. And here's what, here's what he recorded. And I, as, as you listen to these words, I want you to think about what Jesus has just said in verses 10 and 11, and then verses uh, 25 and following, about these signs in the heavens. Now, where I pick up, he's telling about the thousands of people who had listened to false prophets, because all these false prophets had come onto the scene in Jerusalem, and Rome had, the Roman army had surrounded them, and they said, everything's going to be okay, guys. Don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. God's going to take care of us. And they ended up losing their lives because they listened to these false prophets. Now, here's what he says. <clears throat> Thus were the miserable people persuaded by these deceivers, and such as belied God himself. While they did not attend nor give credit to the signs that were so evident, and did so plainly foretell their future desolation, but like... Men infatuated without either eyes to see or minds to consider did not regard the denunciations that God made to them. And, and here he starts to describe some of the stuff that happened uh, in that time. Thus there was a star resembling a sword which stood over the city, and a comet that continued a whole year. Thus also before the Jews' rebellion, and before those, those commotions which preceded the war, when the people were coming great crowds to the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the eighth month of Nisan, and at the ninth hour of the night, so great a light shone round the altar and the holy house that it appeared to be bright time, bright daytime, which lasted for half an hour. This light seemed to be a good sign to the unskillful, but was so interpreted by the sacred scribes as to pretend the, those events that followed immediately upon it. At the same time also a heifer, as she was led by the high priest to be sacrificed, brought forth a lamb in the midst of the temple." Besides these, and this is skipping down just a little bit, besides these, a few days after the feast, on the, on the one and twentieth day of the month, Jair, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon appeared. I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable were it not related by those who saw it, and were not the events that followed it of so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals. For before sunsetting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running about among the clouds and surrounding of cities. Moreover, at that feast, which we call Pentecost, as the priests were going by night into the inner court of the temple, as their custom was to perform the sacred ministrations, they said that in the first place they felt a quaking and heard a great noise, and after that they heard a sound as of a great multitude saying, Let us remove hence. In other words, let's leave the temple. All that's from the Wars of the Jews, Book 6, Chapter 5, Section 3, in case you're interested. So I say all that to say this. There were recorded in history signs in the heavens before the destruction of, of Jerusalem. Now, when we get to verse 25, 
it could be that he's simply using apocalyptic language. And I believe that he is using apocalyptic language about the heavens being shaken and so forth. But, but I believe that this is an amplification and increase of what was mentioned in verse 11. There are going to be some signs that are going on in the heavens that are going to shake people up. The, 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 the very powers of the heavens are going to be shaken. So first we see heavenly signs, but also I want you to see in verse 25, it's not just signs in the sky, but there's also discord on the earth. There's dismay among the nations, the, 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 the raging seas. Now it could be again, uh, you know, we, we hear about raging seas. What do we think of now? Because everybody's talking about all the seas are going to overflow the, the world and all this stuff. We think about global warming. It, it could be that there's some sort of uh, a literal raging seas, some, you know, all powers of, of nature are, are shaken. It could be that that's a picture of just the, the turmoil and, and the, the uh, things just breaking loose. We don't know, but whatever is going on, everything that seems permanent in heaven and on earth is going to be coming loose. And you know, having lived through COVID, once things that, that seemed secure and normal start to get shaken, it's disconcerting to a lot of people, isn't it? I mean, it's, it makes people feel uncomfortable. And so Jesus says, when all these things start to happen, people are going to be fainting from fear, verse 26. The, 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 words that's, the, the wording that's used means their hearts are going to fail them. It means that their, 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 their hearts are going to give out from all the fear, all the anxiety, and the terror will, that will start to take place. Men will, will be ready to die. They will want to die. And so there are all these things happening in heaven and on earth. Next, I want you to see the coming of the Son of Man, verse 27. After these things, they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with power and glory. Now, remember, we've talked about this before, but often with, with prophecy, like Jesus is giving, there's a near lesser fulfillment and a later fuller fulfillment. We've, I've talked about this quite a bit, especially the last two or three weeks. And so we look at this and we say, if that's the case, how, how is it that Jesus came, the Lord, how did the Lord come in that time? Now remember, this apocalyptic language, often whenever it talks about God visiting, there's a description of, of clouds and glory and thunder and lightning, all these different things. And, and it will speak of God coming like that in judgment on a nation or on a people. And so when we look at this, the Lord did visit Jerusalem, not in a salvific way after the crucifixion of Jesus, but rather the Lord visited in judgment, divine judgment for their rejection of Christ and the, uh, the, the murder of the Messiah. Now this is a faint echo of the picture of Christ's later return, which is still future, because Jesus has not come back yet in his power and his glory. Now in Acts chapter 1, how does, do you remember what happened? Jesus, Jesus ascended and and as the disciples were looking up into the sky, as they looked for Jesus, what, what kept them from seeing the Lord? Do you remember? Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 11. says that, that uh, as, as they were looking up into heaven, um, let me get to the right page here. As they were, uh, after, the, after he said these things, he was lifted up. And while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This, this Jesus, who has just been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way 
as you have watched him go into heaven. So Jesus ascended into heaven, and he was, he was obscure from their sight by the Shekinah glory of God. You say, Shekinah glory, what's that? You remember in, uh, in the Old Testament, the cloud of pillar by day, and, or the, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, led the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt. When they would get to where they were going, it would come and, and descend on, on the tabernacle, and, and the Lord's presence well, there was a visible manifestation of the Lord's presence as, as this Shekinah glory uh, uh, hovered over the, the Ark of the Covenant. And you remember whenever the, the, the Lord's glory showed up, people couldn't stay in there. You remember Moses couldn't stay in. Uh, whenever the Lord showed up at the temple, Solomon, all the priests, they, they, they couldn't stay in there. There's this glory, this, this, this overwhelming, uh, uh, there's, there's brightness and clouds and all, all, these, all these things. And that is what Jesus went up in. That's what Jesus is going to come back in. He's coming in clouds of glory and power. Now I'm going to say this as an aside. But there's been a lot of talk recently about people supposedly witnessing a glory cloud. Has anybody seen this? A lot of people have supposedly seen this glory cloud, this Shekinah glory uh, in church services. And, and it, ha- it started way back, some years back, there was a, 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 a well, I'll say he, he's a scam artist, Todd Bentley. Um, he is like a televangelist, faith healer type person. He, I think he was the one that started, and then uh, the church out in uh, Bethel in Redding, California, um, they, they've copied this. They actually put gold um, glitter in their air ducts. And so then whenever the air would kick on, these people are in the church service, and all of a sudden there's this golden haze around us. It must be the glory of God. Baloney! God doesn't get His glory at Walmart in the craft section. God is glorious, and, and if you're there, you ain't staying there. Because it is so overwhelming that you can't even be in that place. And I mean, I've seen people post some pictures of a poorly composed photograph, and there's lens flare from the lights in their, coming down on their, on their camera, and they say, this is God's glory. No, it's not. You just don't know how to take a picture right. I mean, it's ridiculous, the things that, that are going on right now. But listen... When Jesus comes back, Hobby Lobby ain't got anything to do with his glory. The arts and crafts section doesn't have anything to do with his glory. He is coming back in power and, and glory, and, and, when, and every eye will behold him. There, there's not going to be any wonder who it is or what it is that's going on. There's no gold dust. There's no glitter. Now, Jesus says when you see these things, when, when you see these things, bow down. Or not bow down, straighten up, because you've been bowed down. It says straighten up and lift up your head. It's a time of joy, it's a time of celebration. Why? Because you've been bowed down through oppression, you've been bowed down through mistreatment and, and persecution. He says when, when you see all this start to take place, you straighten up. This is, this is an encouragement to you. This is something that, 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 should, that should cause joy and expectation. Why? Because he says your redemption is drawing near. Your redemption is drawing near. Now, I want you to notice he's talking to them, but it's like he's looking past them. Have you ever been in the store and somebody waves? And you say, well, hey, and you're not sure if you know them or not. And then you realize, they're like, they're like, hey, how's it going? Oh, not too bad. How are you? And then you realize they're talking to the person in front of you. It's kind of like that. Jesus is talking to these guys right in front of him, but he's also looking, at, looking over 
their heads to all generations. And he's saying, you all need to be paying attention because I can come back at any moment. My return is imminent. And when you see these things happening, no matter what generation you're in, you need to look up because your redemption is drawing near. Next, I want you to see the parable, verse 29, of the fig tree. The parable of the fig tree. Now, we don't have fig trees around here, but we can understand this parable. Because in wintertime, things are ugly, right? Things are brown. Trees lose their leaves, and it's, it's not, not too pretty. But when the seasons start to change, well, e- even now, if, if you'll notice, I've, I've seen a couple of plants starting to, to put out some buds. And my allergies have found some other ones that I've not seen yet. But when things start changing, you start seeing signs. Here's, here's something that's, you know, the days are getting longer, warmer, warmer temperatures, these trees are starting to, to put on leaves, and all these different signs lead you to the conclusion that something's changing. Something new's coming along. And Jesus says, uses that, this, this picture from nature, and he says, you know what, when, when all these things start to take place, it's just like the trees budding and putting on leaves, when things are greening up, you know something new's coming. When you see all these things happening, that's when you know that, my, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, verse 32 is, has been the subject of a lot of debate. A lot of ink has been spilt over verse 32. Because he says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. What does he mean by this generation? That's, that's the question. Because some have taken this to mean Christ has already returned. His kingdom is set up in its fullness right now. Um, we're in the new heavens and the new earth right now. Everything is all complete. But listen, that ain't right. Because this is not the new heavens and the new earth. There's still death. There's still suffering. There's still pain. There's still all those bad things happening. The resurrection has not happened yet. I mean, there are all these things that go along with his return has not happened. Jesus has not come back. It was not a spiritual return. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, the same Jesus you saw go up, you're going to see come down in the same way. Visible, physical. It's going to be a real return. So some have taken that and they are incorrect. Others take this to mean that those who are alive when Christ returns are going to see all these things. Others take this, this, this phrase, this generation, to mean this, this nation, this people. In other words, the Jews are going to exist until he returns. And there are all kinds of different uh, reads on this. And they all have their pluses and minuses. But, but if you look, I think that it, the, the most natural reading is that the people to whom Jesus was speaking were the ones he had in view, at least initially. Because what does he say? This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And then he says, um, he goes on and, and makes this application of verse 34 to them. And, um, and, and then verse 36, he says, But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you might have strength to escape all these things which are about to take place. So there is a nearness to Jesus' words. Now, remember what we've talked about. And, and now, okay, let me back up. When it says this generation, the word generation oftentimes in the Bible means like a 40-year period. Now, Jesus said these words around 30, 35 uh, A.D. Jerusalem was destroyed when? 
70 A.D. Within that generation, that, that 40 year span of time, his words were literally fulfilled. So I believe he's speaking to them first and foremost about the destruction of Jerusalem. But remember what we've said, there's a near lesser fulfillment and a later fuller fulfillment. Yes, he's speaking to them, but one day he's saying, I will return. I will return. And, and, and even though those things that, that once seemed stable and secure are going to be shown as temporary. In contrast to that, verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away. Those things that, that seem sure, they will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And finally, I want you to see the warning that Jesus issues, verse 34. Now again, we have this strong implication of delay. While we wait for this to unfold, he says, while you wait, be on your guard. Pay attention. Don't let your heart be weighed down, distracted by either the pleasures of this life with eating and drinking to excess, but also don't, be let, don't let them be uh, drawn away and weighed down with the worries and anxieties of this life. If you do, verse 35, or end of verse 34, if you do, you're not going to pay attention. You'll be as surprised as the unbeliever when it takes place. It'll be like a trap that springs on you. Pray that you are in a right condition to stand before the Son of Man. Now, I don't know how many times I've said this, but I'm going to say it again because Jesus says it. One day you're going to stand before God. You will stand before the Lord. And that, that's what he says in, in, uh, in, in, in verse 36. Pray that you are able to stand before the Son of Man. One day you will give an answer to Jesus. What did you do with the Lord? How did you respond to God and His call? Did you accept Him or did you reject Him? Did you submit to Him or did you rebel against Him? Did you try to live your own life your own way or did you submit to His authority? Because the only way that you can be worthy to stand before the Son of Man is by being right with Him. And that, is, that happens through repentance and faith. That happens by by laying down your arms, so to speak. It, 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 it means that you repent of your sin. You turn from it. And you follow Him. Now he concludes, the, the Bible concludes this section, verses 37 and 38, by saying that Jesus would spend the whole day teaching in the temple and then retire to the Mount of Olives at night. Now he may have been staying at, at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He seems to have been friends with them. They lived in Bethany. Um, they, not, he seemed to be. He was friends with them. Seemed to be very close with them. But they lived in Bethany, which was on uh, the east slope of the Mount of Olives. He could have been staying there. He could have been staying at some other location. But he was out there, and all this looks ahead to his betrayal, which happens on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, what does this have to say to us today? Well, first and foremost, we need to pay attention. We need to heed the warnings of Christ. We need to walk around with our eyes open. We need to pay attention to what the Lord is up to in this world. And it's so easy whenever we turn on the news, it's depressing. And, it's, and, and we look at things and we, we talk to people, you know, friends and loved ones, and there's all this stuff going on, situations and sickness and disease, all these things. And it's so easy to just throw up our hands and say, I don't, God, what are you doing? I don't know where this is all headed. And, 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 and the warning here is we need not be discouraged or upset, and, and, and we not, need not be weighed down with pleasure or anxiety. We need to focus our eyes on Him. We need to put our attention on Him. We need to set our hope on the Lord as we patiently 
wait for his return. I want you to stand with me as uh, musicians come. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to. Um, I just want you to consider your own heart. If you're a Christian, are you setting your hope and your affection on the Lord? Are you weighed down with, with the excesses of this life? Are you weighed down with anxiety and the cares of this world? Do you look at the world events and wring your hands? Jesus says, all these things must take place. The end is not yet, but it's all in his control. Maybe you're not a Christian. Listen, one day you will stand before the Lord. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And while you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And I call you today to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And Lord, I pray that you would, um, would speak to our hearts. If there's somebody here who needs to get right with you, Lord, I pray that you would let them do that. And Lord, for those friends and loved ones, those family members that we have in our lives that, that we know are not Christians, we lift them up to you. We thank you for another day that you've uh, extended to them to come to faith in you. And we pray that they would do that today. And Lord, I pray that for each of us that we would not set our eyes and our hopes and our affections on the things of this world, but on you. And help us not be discouraged, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.